Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Welcome to another Daily Canon Podcast. I was going to say weekly podcast. They used to be weekly. At the moment, they're not very weekly. Uh, that's partly because there's no football on, and it's also partly because my life is insane. But uh, we're still here to come and talk to you and hopefully give you something worthy of listening to, even if it's just on your daily commute or if you're doing the washing up or something that might benefit from someone talking at you. Anyway, joining me to talk about certain things, including perhaps a transfer that may have happened or has happened, a transfer that looks like it's happened except for the official announcement, and probably uh, much to his own chagrin, transfers that may well happen, is Paul Williams. How are you, Paul? Yeah, all right. I'm looking looking forward to this one. <laughs> well, uh, show some enthusiasm, otherwise everyone will just turn off. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, th- I thought I just did. Ah, okay. You didn't sound very sincere, that's all. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> no, that was my enthusiastic voice. <laughs> Long week at work then. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, obviously um, it's all kicked off in terms of transfers, which... I know that you're not mad keen on transfer speculation, but actual, actual transfers is a whole different kettle of fish. And who would have thought that our first confirmed or, or officially completed, shall we say, uh, because it, even though it was arranged in advance, Matt Turner and Austin Trusty from the States didn't actually arrive by then, uh, is, was someone that we weren't even linked to. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the, the uh, wispy playmaker that is Fabio Vieira out of Porto. Uh, I'm not expecting you to watch so many games of Porto season ticket holder, but what do you make of him? I presume you've been frantically YouTubing and, and reading here, here, there and everywhere. <laughs> not frantically, but I have had a little look. Um, he kind of looks to me like a bearded Charlie Patino, which is quite, or at least a goatees Charlie Patino. Um, yes. <laughs> um, he seems to have very quick feet, which obviously I like. Um, I think I described his left wand to someone recently, but he can also use his right foot, as we've seen with some of the finishes he's put away for Porto. Um I think he looks like a really exciting footballer. I guess the big question will be around his adaptation and how he's able to physically adjust to the Premier League. Although, you know, I also have in my head, and it's a shame Anita's not here really, but um, Luka Modric was perceived by Arsene Wenger to be a player that wouldn't be able to cope with the Premier League's physicality. And we now know that that was not correct. (laughs) Um, but obviously Fabio Vieira's pro- probably got a bit of a way to go before he could um, stand up to such comparisons. Well, I mean, it's not so long ago that we were drooling at the pleasure of watching a certain other diminutive midfielder in Elmwood, mm. who uh, no, no one would have guessed had been a Premier League central midfielder until he became one. <laughs> true, true. I, th- I think Santi, though... Um, Slightly stock or a stockier physique. Yeah. He came to Arsenal at 27 as well. I think um, the uh, I was on the uh, one more in the Tolly forum a couple of weeks ago, and um, someone mentioned about how they were hopeful that Vieira was kind of at the beginning of a Sesc-like development curve, but they weren't talking about him in terms of his football ability. They meant physically. Mm. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see I, I guess 
he he doesn't feel though we've spent like a lot of um, a lot of money on him. He doesn't feel like someone that is one for the now. Um, so I guess there'll be six months of him uh, getting used to being here and adapting, and then maybe we'll see more of him as the season develops. Yeah, I mean, 35 million euros is not to be sniffed at, um, obviously. And it, it is an interesting signing because it's not one that I think anyone saw coming. Um, not one that you can instantly see where he plugs in as well, despite, obviously, as you alluded to, the talent level, which is there. I mean, um, you know, for, for Porto, he's played sort of number 10. He's played very occasionally as a sort of, you know, two eights a bit like a, a sort of less robust Bernardo Silva. Um, or he's also played in both wide positions and even as a false nine. Um, but he really doesn't have that much that much first team experience. I mean, you know, he's twenty two, uh, just. Um, but you know, we, we've we've been getting very familiar with players who, by the time they're twenty two, have already <laughs> played you know a hundred top flight games or or more, or have, even in the case of Lukonga, have captain their teams. But one of the things that makes Fabio Vieira so interesting is the fact that it's sort of taken a while to get his chance. I mean, he was hugely rated in the Porto Academy, and presumably some of him not getting his chance was a down to his lack of comparative lack of physicality. Um, but B also his uh, he, well the competition within the Porto squad. I mean they had Sergio Oliveira playing midfield last season. Uh, when he left uh, middle of this season, then Vitinha moved slightly more, slightly deeper, and also they sold Luis Diaz. So suddenly there were two spaces available for him to get minutes, um, which weren't previously there for him. Um, uh, and it'd be fair to say <laughs> that the chance was taken with um, basically with both hands. Um, I mean, he's incredibly highly rated as a result of what he achieved. Um, and uh, just his impact upon Porto and what was a historic season for him, for them was incredibly impressive. I mean, you know, if you look at the, I suppose the overarching stats in 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 Liga Portugal, uh, you know, six goals and fourteen assists in a total of twenty seven appearances already sounds pretty impressive. Uh, but it's even more impressive when you actually look at the minutes he played and how many of those games, particularly at the start of the season, when he wasn't getting a huge amount of chances, were off the bench. Um, so if you look at his actual minutes, those six goals and 14 assists have come in the equivalent of just over 14 90-minute appearances, which is like mental stats. Um, I mean, obviously, some of the, the, the competition within the Portuguese league isn't of the strongest. And, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm not sure the likes of Moriense and uh, what is it? Belenenses. Belenenses. Uh, with who we got a hat trick of assists against each, and necessarily teams to to send shivers down the spine of Premier League goal position. But you know it's not- notable that in the big Portuguese derby against Sporting, he got a goal and assist. In uh, in you know a rare game, he got to start twice. He scored a uh, I think a winner against Benfica. Um, 
you know so uh, and and that's bearing in mind he didn't he only got to play against those teams once this season um so there is something of a big game performance in him and he, of course he had a bit of an impact in in European competition as well in the, in the Champions League he came off the bench and set up a goal uh, against Liverpool uh, in a game in which Porto got absolutely gubbed <laughs> and they also got an assist against Leon in the uh, Europa League so I suppose the thing that really stands out though is when you look at the video of him, as I'm sure you've seen a bit of, just some of the passes, both the technique, as you've alluded to, but also the vision. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, for all the players that we love, we've only really got one player that plays the, oh my God, Teddy sees those passes, and that's Martin Erdegaard. But he's a bit more of a general conductor as well. You know, he... He can play those passes, but he, he tends to more just play the passes that you can see very well. Whereas, uh, you know, Fabio Vieira's highlight reel and, and all the things written about him really common, really illustrates his ability to, to play passes that are incredibly difficult to even see in the first place. And that is something, obviously, uh, we've associated previously with Meza Ozil, uh, but Fabio Vieira works harder than Mesut Ozil did, not necessarily in an attacking sense, but he's more willing to track back, more willing to, you know, he's never going to be defensively very strong, but more willing to fill gaps and uh, and generally uh, also press, which is yeah. a key part of what we're going to need from our attacking players. I've seen that. I think also it's interesting that... Um... Uh, the Porto fans have had quite a visceral reaction to him, to him being sold um, for the price that we've paid. Yeah. Um, and he's only been in the team for half a season. So it shows you the, the impact he has made. And I think I'm kind of intrigued to see where he will fit into this team. You mentioned earlier about him possibly uh, having maybe played as one of two eights and obviously there's there's a there's a spot in the Arsenal team that a lot of Arsenal fans rightly or wrongly I think probably rightly feel we need to improve improve on in front of Thomas Partey um uh whether he can do that um playing alongside Erdegaard maybe we'll, we'll wait and see yeah I mean very much obviously in the immediacy provides cover for Odegaard. The fact he can play as a creative wide player and not much, but has played at number eight and also has played at false nine. You know, it, it, I mean, one thing we're seeing with all the, not just all the players we've, we've bought recently, but also the players that are targeting, there is a tactical flexibility there, sort of hard baked in. Um, and we all know that while we haven't seen as much of it in the last season, what we'd saw previously under Arteta is that he very much prizes that tactical flexibility, the ability to change systems within games or adapt systems to play against various opponents. And it seemed like last season was more about trying to build something of a, a base. So, so, you know, particularly, obviously, when you look at the signings, it was focusing on the defence, uh, focusing on being able to progress the ball into the middle and final thirds, which was something we were struggling with before. And... Uh, it's hard to, you know, it's not hard to see, sorry, how the how that tactical flexibility we saw prior to that is going to be something that returns, particularly looking at the other players we've been linked with or, or are buying, which we'll, we'll move on to in due course. Um, I mean, of course, this also comes off the back of Fabio Vieira being player of the tournament in the under-21 Euros. And 
and and I think for the Portuguese in the 21, he's got something like 13 goals in 20 games or something, or maybe 21 games, uh, which again is is not something to be sniffed at. And he he was very very good against England on the 21s when 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 they played. Um, yeah, and again a curious a curious one because it's not what you'd expect as our first signing, given a players we were already linked with, and B it doesn't doesn't seem the the greatest positional priority, but I guess if you see someone that you think's got a chance to be a, a top creative player in, in in the continent if he develops further, mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess you just have to to go for it. Um, yeah, it's almost an Arsene Wenger signing, isn't it? Um, yeah, possibly a pay price Arsene Wenger would have bought out, but um, yeah, Wenger probably would have got him the season the season before. <laughs> And also, uh, given that Jorge Mendes was uh, the main man involved in... Brand- yes. <laughs> yeah. It would never have happened. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Um, I mean, uh, it's sort of also quite refreshing and quite heartening in a way that we were able to pull off as a club a, a stealth transfer such as that. I mean, there was a couple of vague reports a month or so previously that we were looking at the player... But I mean, they were not particularly widespread in terms of the way they were just, you know, they were quite minor publications or journalists aren't particularly well known in the UK. And, you know, none, none of your uh, Fabrizio Romano or David Ornstein's, you know. Yeah, well, it's quite funny. I literally, t- literally two days previously, I'd got involved in a slight argument with someone on Twitter, as you do. Mm-hmm. Um because Tottenham were signing Basuma and he was like, oh, why haven't we signed anyone yet? And I was like, you know, negotiations take time. You you don't know what, unless you're in the Arsenal boardroom, you don't know what may or may not be going on and what conversations are or aren't being had. And then literally two days later, this transfer that nobody knew about happens out of the blue. Um, And it... (laughs) They're the best transfers in the way, I think. I kind of remember, old bastard alert, but remember us signing Ian Wright and nobody had a clue mm-hmm. that was going to happen. That was literally out of the blue to the point where, um, I don't know if you know this story, I might have told it before, out at a golf day with a load of journalists as Arsenal were signing Ian Wright. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were all like, what have you done to me? Because they got the new second hand, and they were actually with George Graham when it was happening. Um, Although I think I remember from from that one, it was an incredibly quick transfer. Basically, Arsenal put the bid in. Palace said yes straight away, and then they basically said you're going to Arsenal unless you really don't want to. And Ian Wright went, "Yeah, I'm going. <laughs> I'll go and play with my mate." Um, and but then I also remember four years later, four years later, signing Dennis Burkamp and like watching that whole thing unfold on CFAX, which was yeah, it, it was it was seeing it first reported on Teletext and thinking, is this a hoax? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because particularly as we've been so shit that year, you know, none of us could really believe. Like, we can't be buying Dennis Burkamp, even though he'd have a bad season in Italy. You know, we'd all seen Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, we'd all seen him play for Holland, <laughs> you know, and and we'd seen him play for Ajax, and we're just like this. This we can't be getting a player. And then obviously, that was the start of huge changes at the club and, and English football as a whole, really. Um, yeah. So um, I, 
Yeah, I. It just. Although, um, I have to say, we, we, you have to you have to acknowledge that the best ever, holy fuck, that came out of nowhere transfer. Come on, get things. Is it Ozil? No, 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 no. Far better than that. The guy that we didn't know about until he turned up at the press conference. Oh, soul. Yeah. <laughs> the one that they had to keep a state secret so he wouldn't get murdered. <laughs> I felt I felt slightly disconnected to that. I guess it wouldn't have mattered whether I was in London or not, but I was in Leeds at the time and I remember turning up for work. I was on an open at McDonald's uh, <laughs> the day the transfer, or the day after the transfer. I can't remember. Anyway... The first I knew about it was walking into work, picking up the papers, automatically looking at the back page and going, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you're right. Yeah, the Sol Campbell transfer. But I I just wanted to say, like, there seems to be a lot of Arsenal fans around that are just very cross about what Arsenal haven't done yet. Have yeah, or haven't done. Great. It's like, come on, guys, we're, we're still in June. As you and I are talking, this podcast may go out in July, but it's still June. Um, and, and, and to be honest, people, you know, the contract expiries of the year has, has only happens today. So people don't become free agents until tomorrow. Um, so it's effectively, it's the end. It's the start of the main transfer period is just about now. But I mean, I guess it's, you know, that angst is because Spurs are doing their business quickly. Um, I mean, it's an interesting one because the, obviously Spurs are buying players that will improve their squad. Then it's a question of do we would we want any of the players that Spurs have bought? I mean, I suppose the fact that we haven't attempted to buy any of them suggests no. But um, I mean, what do you think? Because obviously there's been a lot of angst about Eve Basuma, given how long we were linked with him, and given that you know shortly after signing them, he's now been cleared of all charges, which I suppose. Oh, has he? Yeah, I think it was yesterday. He was cleared of all charges. Okay. Um, Well, he does feel like the sort of player, obviously I got to watch him at close quarters a couple of months ago, he does feel like the kind of player that Arsenal run with. Um, I don't think there's anything uniquely special about Basuma that Arsenal can't find that sort of player elsewhere if Mikel Arteta would like a player like that in his squad. And I I think what, what I'm kind of seen the Arsenal fans that I at least see opinions of, if not necessarily engage with, is that there seems to be a lot of angry people because uh, Mikel Arteta has a different view of football and how it should be played to these people. Um, and that's never going to be resolvable. Um, I don't agree with everything Mikel Arteta does, but I do generally think, as I've said before, he has earned a degree of trust from us as fans. I think, as you pointed out earlier, the last season has been about building a base and now he's moving on and he's been talking about Arsenal needing to score more goals for quite a long time. Um and now he's making efforts to address or not. It cannot be said that he's not trying. Well, also, uh, I suppose it's time timely to move on to you know, the transfer that hasn't been officially announced, although it might be by the time anyone listens to this. But, you know, only today that the video footage of walking around the pitch has our been Lord, leaked. Our Lord and Saviour. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, this, this, the, the second coming is, 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 is shortly upon us. And um, I guess that's the clearest indication of anyone of uh, the, the priority of addressing that, that issue. Um, I mean, we haven't talked about Gabriel Jesus before on, on this podcast, but I mean, uh, for whatever reason. I mean, what do you make of him as a, as a player for, for the Arsenal, I guess, um, at this stage in his career and from what you've seen of him before? I think um, the profile of the signing I like, he, he's 25 years. It's not like we're going and getting a Chelsea or Man United or even Manchester City cast off at the age of 32, 33, best years behind him. His best years, in theory, are still in front of him. Um, I think we saw ourselves when we, we played Manchester City at home that he can be dangerous without um, necessarily scoring goals. Um, I mean, his interaction with Gabriel is the one that probably swung the game. Yes. Sorry. Gabriel Magalhães <laughs> uh, swung the game City's way decisive. Um, I think I, I'm kind of I, I, I basically think that I trust Mikel Arteta enough, and I know that not everyone listening to this is going <laughs> to agree with it, but I basically are enough that if Mikel Arteta thinks Gabriel Jesus is the man to play centre forward for Arsenal, I back that judgment. Um, I reserve the right to remove remove that trust <laughs> in six months' time or a year, uh, should I feel that feel it necessary. But I, I, I do think um, Arteta's obviously worked with him for three years. He knows him. I, I do wonder if there's an aspect of um, Tim Stillman wrote a piece today. I don't know if you've read it about um, perhaps Jesus needs to be. To, needs to feel that he's the main man to sort of be reactivated because um, yeah, yeah. I, I do understand that there is a concern about the amount of goals that he does actually score um, but in terms of his work rate I mean what I've seen from Man City fans is that they, they really like him and they, yeah, yeah. they the work rate that he brings to the yeah. team um, I think technically he's pretty decent um, you don't get to play for Manchester City unless you you've got something about you do um, so I am excited by it I, I do have as I said reservations um, I, but I think that to sign a player like this at the age of 25 like I said best years ahead of him it's a bit of a coup really for Edu and Arteta Um but it'll all play out on the pitch. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it is a bit of a coup, um, but at the same time, it's sort of, for a lot of people, I think it doesn't feel like that. Um, partly because we've been linked to him with it sounding as if it's going to be a done deal for a while. Partly because obviously City are willing to let him go because he's running his contract down and also because they've just bought the, the big shiny super striker. Um, and so... It, for, for those who are that way inclined, it could feel a bit like sloppy seconds, I guess. Um, excuse, you, excuse the expression. But, I, I th- I, you know, you've expressed already the concerns that people have about his goal scoring. And, and it's true that his uh, XG uh, performance is, is not fantastic. He misses more chances than the average player does 
from the positions he gets into, or the average striker does from the position he gets into, and that's and that is just borne out statistically. Um, and a lot of people have been sort of quoting that as a and, and his goals to appearances figures uh, as obviously a criticism. But two things that sort of act as a balancing counterpoint to that, quite apart from the work rate and the pressing that you mentioned, is the fact that his starts to goals ratio is actually good. And, you know, one in two kind of thing. It's only, it's basically, he's a bit ineffective off the bench. Uh, but of course, scoring lots of goals off the bench is generally quite difficult, particularly if you're generally coming on when a game is either one or the two, or, or you're struggling. Um, but what's also quite interesting is the same place I saw the, the, the breakdown of expected goals uh, figures for each season and, and, a, and a slight underperformance in most of the seasons. Uh, it, it did fail to highlight in the same list of statistics that he massively overperformed as expected and exists, which is partly because the there are good finishers at Man City that he's playing with who are scoring chances perhaps others won't. But it's also an illustration of the fact that he's actually very good at putting balls in positions where his teammates can score uh, and and better than the average in that respect. Um, you know, and that obviously is one of the reasons why he's been playing out wide a lot for City and also for Brazil. Um, I mean, I, from my own personal perspective, I, I, I don't know quite where I sit on the transfer. I think it's a, I think it's a, I think he's a good player. He'll improve the squad. The price is a fair price, even though his contract's running down. And I think uh, undoubtedly will be improved by his presence. But I don't know. I don't know if that still leaves us potentially looking for another striker down the line. Now, I'm not worried about that because the great thing about Jesus is he can play across the front line. And so even if, if he doesn't work out as a centre forward, he's proven that he has value as a wide player. Uh, uh, so, you know, he's going to be a good signing regardless. And I guess we do have to also give Eddie minutes having given him his big fat contract. But um, I still have a slight concerns about our lack of physicality in the front third, uh, you know, certainly size. And I would have, even though Jesus is good in the air, uh, I would have preferred some... In, in an ideal world, something with a bit more physicality in there. But having players with that level of physicality who can also, you know, score lots of goals and contribute to team play, press, means you're normally looking at the you know, upwards of 80, 80, 90 million in this current market. So I guess, you know, have to cut your cloth accordingly when there's more than one hole to fill. Um, and as I say, I'm not worried about it because... The worst that happens is that he doesn't quite work out as a striker, but he's still a very useful attacking squad player in the final third that can play in any of the any of the positions and will still have a place regardless of what happens elsewhere. So uh, overall, I think I'm positive about it. And I do think, as you say, it's a bit of a coup for the club because um, I'm sure there must have been other teams who would have been interested. I mean, be, I can't imagine you would have chosen us if... if Real Madrid's interest had come to fruition, given. Uh, but uh, but then again, maybe he would because uh, he's not going to be the main main man at Real Madrid, <laughs> really? uh, and quite rightly so. In the same way that when Spurs were trying to bid for him, I thought, okay, this is interesting. I wasn't wasn't particularly concerned about that because why on earth 
yes, Spurs are in the Champions League, and yes, you may feel they have a better immediate future, but why on earth would you go and sign for a club where the only players in their squad who are clearly better than you are the players that play in your positions? <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, positive about that. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of action with Brazilians at the moment. It seems like Spurs are about to, about to sign... Uh, a certain a certain gentleman from Everton who uh, will fit into their coterie of shithousing snide attacking players. <laughs> yes, the m- most dislikable front three in the Premier League as a friend of mine. Um, Gab's the B, as Gab sent to our WhatsApp group this morning. Yeah, um, I mean, but it's interesting that, of course, it sounds like they're going to be paying 10 or 15 million pounds more than we are for Gabriel Jesus. So when you look at it in that perspective, although I think Richarlison has a lot of attributes that will do well for Spurs um, and, and is a player that it'd be interesting to see how he does out of actual, if he goes to a club that's actually, you know, a functioning football club as opposed to the, the utter mess that Everton have descended into. Um, but he's not a player I'd have wanted to spend that kind of money on, to, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, if it, if it was... 30, 40 billion, yeah, Rashadison would be a great signing, I think. But, at, you know, 50 rising to 60, I'm not sure that represents value. Um, given that he's not the most technical player. Um, but we shall see. I mean, time will tell. Either way, I think he's a better fit for them than us, even though he won't be first choice for them. Um, the other Brazilian, of course, in, in the room is... Uh, a certain gentleman playing at Leeds United, uh, <laughs> not much longer, Rafinha, who, uh, so, I mean, obviously we were linked with, but it was sort of, we were like the outsiders to get him. Then suddenly we were favourites to get him. And suddenly as it looked like, you know, Leeds, it, you know, all the papers were kind of talking about it as if we were nailed on to get him. And then Chelsea souped in the last minute, gazumped us by about 10 million or 15 million, you know, um, you know, uh, the new owner. 2005 all over again. Well, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> it, well, also, given the, the acts he's following, the new owner's got to do some dick swinging to make sure that he's got some credit in the bank with the fans. And we know that he did that with his baseball clubs as well a little bit and turned up and, and splashed the cash for a bit. Um, but then the next twist, of course, is apparently Barcelona, who can't afford him, but his agent is desperate trying to get him to Barcelona. <laughs> Uh, and the player would prefer to go to Barcelona than to Chelsea, funnily enough, being a, a Brazilian, <laughs> a Brazilian whose best position is the one position that Barcelona desperately need in their final third. <laughs> so it's immediately the first choice of Barcelona if he went there. Um, so the gazumpers could be gazumped. <laughs> and of course, Leeds are loving it because, you know, all these certainly they managed to play things out leak enough to the press ever to get Chelsea to put in a high nice high bid to higher than they're probably expecting but it, things might be evened out by the fact what if Rafinha is only willing to go to Leeds to go lead to go from Leeds to Barcelona and Barcelona can't afford the same fee as Chelsea then things get interesting either way I don't think it really applies to us anymore um, but you never know it's still possible that there might be they might all fall apart in that respect but um, I mean how did you feel about us when we were linked to them? Did you think he was a, you know, well, well clearly we're bidding for him by the sounds of it. I initially felt, why do we need him? Um, we've got Bukayo Saka there. And then 
I was kind of messaging James Craddock a couple of weeks ago. And he's like, oh, he's a good player. You should, you should always get good players if they're available. And I, and I thought about the last couple of months of last season where Bukayo Saka was clearly fucked and Mikel Arteta clearly doesn't trust Nicola Pepe. Um, so there is a problem on the right-hand side of the pitch. Um, not a massive problem because the best player at our football club plays there. Um, but we know that Bukayo Saka has played a lot of football um, over the last two seasons particularly, um, and none of us want him to be burnt out by the time he's 21. So I, on that basis, I was I was kind of a bit more enthusiastic about it. And of course, the, the other thing about bringing in a player like Rafinha would be that you can move Saka somewhere, like possibly into the centre of, uh, as one of those two eights, maybe. Mm-hmm. Bukayo Saka is good enough that he can basically play anywhere in our team, except for probably centre-forward, and actually maybe he could do a job there. Centre-back, I'm not sure about. I don't think, he, <laughs> I don't think he's a centre-back. But anywhere else, um, outfield, not a problem. Um, so f- for me, that was more where my interest was, was a little bit of cover, but also opening up a po- opening up um, the flexibility that you mentioned minutes ago um, within the team. Um, but it did also, on the, on the face of it and where I am with it now is, well, 60 million quid would have been a lot of money to spend on someone who plays in Bukayo Saka's position. Yeah, and that's pretty much where I've come down on it as well. You know, I like the player. I could definitely see the value to him. I mean, you know, you look at his skill set and he he's basically basically a slightly smaller Nicola Pepe with a brain. Um, he, I mean, it's very, very reductive, but hey, uh, this podcasts are good for soundbites, so why not have one here? Um, but yeah, as, as you say, to play, to play both him and Saka, you're moving one of them into a position which, well, they'll be good at, is not their best position. And there comes a point where where there's value. And, and you know, there's been, again, a lot of fans bitching about, why don't we just put the money up front straight away? We were wasting time and that's why Chelsea came in. And it's like, well, because we were never going to pay what Leeds wanted us to. And Leeds were never going to accept less than that until they'd found out what was going on with Barcelona and then as it turned out Chelsea so there was so you know ultimately if 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 the selling club isn't trying just wants to do business quickly you know the negotiation takes place quickly you put a bid in they say no you get talking and then you reach an arrangement but it's been very much in Leeds United's favor to drag this out because they yeah. were many teams and, in and i think the other thing for me is it doesn't feel like, I mean, I'm sure he'd probably rather play for Arsenal than he would Leeds. Anybody would feel like that, I reckon. Um, but Particularly as he grew up, he's made reference lots of times to growing up and Thierry Henry was his, was his hero. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but I think if if it's more, if he wants to play more for Barcelona than he does Arsenal, and again, I can understand that as well, as difficult as it is for us to countenance. I'm not really interested in players that sort of want to be here. Um, I mean, I don't feel quite the same way simply because it's very easy for, uh, I can very much understand a player that has teams that he likes in each country or mm. a few teams he likes. You know, he'd like to play for Arsenal more than a lot of teams, but he'd like to play for Barcelona more than he'd like to play for Arsenal, which I think probably applies to 
quite a lot of players out there. Uh, you know, United's number one target, Frankie Dion being the case in point. You know, his dream growing up was, as he'd called it, to follow the Mark Overars pathway, which he wanted to come to Arsenal, play for two or three years and then go to Barcelona. But then Barcelona just bought him straight away. And now they're trying to force them out the day the door because they're a Barcelona. They player. are a fucking mental football club, aren't they? I mean, it's so uh, it's so bizarre, isn't it? Because ten ten years ago, or maybe slightly longer, people would have said they were you know how well they were run because they've managed to get rid of all their old overpaid players. They've got this amazing crop of players from their academy. You know, probably the you know best academy group ever, even better than Man United's great group. Um, and you know, we're dominating world football as a result. And but then, just the last five years has been a total shit show. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the 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 apex of that being buying Griezmann for hundred million and then giving him back a couple of years later because they couldn't afford to pay his wages anymore. Um, but now, or having to uh, let Messi go because they couldn't afford to renew his contract. Yeah, I mean, that was mad. Although. Given the the extortionate wages that Messi was on, and given that Messi was starting to take a downturn, there was a strategic. You could make a strategic justification for that, not necessarily being a terrible thing. But have you heard the latest thing about what well, their deal is? So they can actually buy and register players. What they're, um, they're, okay. they're they're selling off basically twenty uh, a certain percentage. Which what the percentage is differs slightly depending on who you believe but they're selling off a significant percentage of future tv rights future tv money to have money now oh wow so they're like and they're, so they're selling it off at essentially something like 40 or 50 percent of its value so they but they get that money now but it means they don't get that money going forward um which is uh yeah i mean robbing peter to pay paul but it's astonishing because they have, they've got themselves in a situation where they have to do it. Otherwise, they can't even register the players they've already got, let alone buy any other players, which is the reason why Dembele still hasn't got a contract, because basically <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't been able to renew him. So they've just been trying to offer him a contract, which is basically, well, we'll pay you fuck all this year, but we'll, we'll pay you more in the future. And he's like, well, I might be broken in the future. And, 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 and you know, the same issue last year when they, you know, they, Basically, without doing that, they couldn't register the players they had, let alone buy people, which is why they they have to sell Frankie de Jong before they can buy anyone. Even though, I suppose for them it sort of makes sense because he's a very valuable asset. And actually, the one thing that Barcelona never struggle is, is producing homegrown central midfielders or picking them up when they're very young as Pedri, Gavi, you know, and somehow still Busquets are, are cases in point. Um, so De Jong's sort of expendable for them, but it is disappointing he's going to go to United. Um, and I would, you know, the thing is his wages are going to be very high, which is one reason we're not going to be in for him. Uh, but all things being equal, you, you know, with it looks like Rafinha's not going to happen, I'd be on the De Jong train today, you know, um, because we need a player that can play in his position and he can play a number of roles at a very high level, but he's probably on huge wages um, yeah, so that that was one of the things I've seen talked about, which is um, you know why will 
not just why were we spending 60 million quid on Rafinha, who plays in Bukayo Saka's position? Why are we spending that sort of money on someone who plays in that position when we need a central midfielder? Yes. Uh, hence, uh, Yuri Tillemans' links not going away. Uh, it seemed it sort of seemed like that was almost a done deal, but it seems that now perhaps Arsenal are, make, are chasing other priorities and also the player is lukewarm and is sort of hoping that you know, someone like Paris Saint-Germain or something might come in for him uh, by the sounds of it. But we we shall see. Uh, Champions League and all that. Um, the other player, of course, we're being linked with a lot is uh, a certain Lissandro Martinez from Ajax. Well, he's Argentinian, so he's not from Ajax. But um, he's a really interesting player. It looks like United interim as well, the Ten Hag link. A lot of conflicting reports going around. It seems like... He finds Arsenal a slightly more attractive option as where the club's at, but obviously his old boss Ten Hag is at Man United, and Man United will probably pay him more as well. So um, you know, there's quotes to suggest he wants to go there. Um, Arsenal are rumoured to have bid a thirty million plus for him. Seems like United might have bid forty million. Ajax are trying to get fifty million. It's the same thing as we discussed before about let's get a bidding war going, uh, and it seems like Arsenal are reluctant to be drawn into it in the same way as they as, as with Rafinha. You know they've got their limit. But do you know anything about the player? No, I do not. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I know that he's five foot nine and he can play centre back and also left back and apparently. He can even fit defensive midfield. So I do know three things about him, but they're probably the three things that everyone listening to this podcast would know. Well, he's, I mean, he's someone that um, was sort of on my radar actually before he came to Europe. Uh, I mean, obviously you'd be shocked to, to know that I, I, I don't see a great deal of Argentina in football, but <laughs> I just happened to catch a bit of the game in which he was playing. I don't even know the team he was playing for, frankly. Uh, and was just like, oh, this guy's the best player in this game. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to judge the level when you're watching South American domestic football because it varies so much. But, and I'm not, then I don't claim to be an expert about it in any stretch of the imagination, but he's someone that, you know, I knew could play centre-half or in midfield left-back thing hadn't really occurred to me, partly because he's not really played much at left-back, it has to be said. Um, but he's he's a very good footballer. I mean, whether he's a Premier League centre-half is questionable, but he's certainly found playing there for Ajax very easy. Um, I, I think he's well-suited to playing that position in a very dominant team because his, you know, he's reasonably quick, can play a high line, a brilliant ball distributor from the back. I mean, his range of passing is fantastic. And he's a, like, as you'd expect from an Argentinian f- defender, he doesn't mind a bit of a, a bit of a ruck in there as well. He's, he's, he's you know, he's pretty determined. Um, uh, but actually, I first run play any length of time in midfield for Ajax, and I was very impressed with him there. Although it seems as though he became the centre half, partly because Ajax system means that their centre halves basically play in midfield anyway, uh, given both their tactical setup and also the paucity of the Dutch league outside of the top three or four teams. Uh, the rest of it, you know, I mean, they, I, I dislike the, t- the phrase farmer's league that people throw about, but outside of the top three or four in Holland, it really is, um, really is, you know, not great quality. Um, but of course he's done very well in Champions League runs for under Ten Hag. Um, 
yeah, uh, as I say, quick, strong in the tackle, excellent passer, um, surprisingly good in the air for a man of his height. But it looks like he's off to United anyway, um, in all likelihood, although that's far from confirmed. And I suppose ultimately, you know, United's defensive issues are so well publicised that he's probably going to feel he's got a better chance of keeping Harry Maguire out of a team managed by a bloke who's, you know, who's come from the Ajax school than keeping, say, Gabriel out of the team, given his comparative form in the last, you know, 18 months. And um, so that's got to be a consideration. But he's a player that I think, you know, at, at the original mooted price of 30 million, I'd have been very happy with because of that that flexibility that you've outlined. And also, I just think that he has qualities that could be very useful in certain games. There was even talk, Ornstein, I think, was saying he could, might be used as an inverted uh, fullback, you know, coming into midfield and stuff. And that would make sense as well, given his profile. But with the price creeping up to 40, 45, and so on and so on, it's just like, okay, there comes a point where no matter how good the player is, it's what what is he worth to you? And ultimately, if he's not coming to be first choice, it's hard to justify spending much above 30 million on a player, given our overall needs and budget. Um, but anyway, we'll see how that pans out. I suppose the one thing we can take from it is that uh, again, it's Arteta looking for players that can fulfil multiple roles and in positions where we probably could do with a little bit more <coughs> a little bit more cover. I mean, we all know that Kieran Tierney is going to need a break if he, you know, if and when he comes back. And uh and you know, Tavares, for all his promise, isn't ready at this level. I, I think I mean that's my view. I, I, I don't know if you disagree. I think on the evidence of last season, it's difficult to argue that. Um, I guess the question will be is how is he going to develop over the next season? And I know there's been a lot of talk about sending him out on loan or even selling him. Mm. And I've, you know, I've said on the pod before, I, 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 I like him. I like what he brings to the team in an attacking sense. Um, but I can see that defensively he must be a complete nightmare for Mikel Arteta. Uh, so I think the the idea of bringing someone in that could cover centre-back, left-back and you know, a stretch midfield and then maybe it gives you the opportunity to send Tavares on loan somewhere for a year and hopefully he would play a year's football and come back a better player. Um it's always a gamble with loans, though. They don't always work out like that, do they? Yeah, um, if you send someone to Tony Pulis. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so, yeah, I I kind of, I, I think I have a, maybe a little bit more faith in Tavares for next season than perhaps you do. But at the same time, I do also recognise that were we to go into... I think there's a stretch of games in October, is it? That's quite tricky for us. Is it October? No, usually yeah. Usually Whenever that tricky month is, if we're relying on Nuno Tavares at left back, that could be problematic. Um, and so accordingly, maybe we do need a better option. But like you say, I think 45 million quid for someone that's a, a depth option is... Probably not something yeah. Arsenal could or should be doing. It gets in the realms of being quite hard to justify then, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind well, of sad. It's one thing spending 45 million on reserve defenders if you're Man City. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I do also think, I mean, that centre-back, I've talked about it before, but um, for, for me, anything that pu- pushes Rob Holding further away from the uh, the, the uh, starting eleven would be good. Because I just, I mean, you know, we've talked before, he's very good at being a penalty box defender, but I do think when he's had to play centre-back um, in place of Ben White in the last season... Arsenal struggled uh, to build up in the same way that they are able to when White is available. Yeah, I mean, to use the ugly term, he's the he's the finisher, isn't he? He's a brilliant at defending his own box, but you stick him on the halfway line and he's in trouble, as as, as we saw to our cost against Spurs when everyone else was injured. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose there's been, you know, there's been a lot of Arsenal fans starting to kind of lose their marbles a little bit because players that we've been bidding for look to be going elsewhere. Uh, but, you know, we have to remind people that it's what? Uh, it's just the end of June, start of July. That's, um, you know, not a lot of transfers happened uh, prior to this point. And yes, Spurs have done quite a lot of business. And of course, that always makes Arsenal fans antsy. But firstly, one, how many of those Spurs players would you actually wanted Arsenal to buy. I mean, a lot of people give Eve Basuma a lot of love, but I, I'm not sure our need for him is as great as it would have been, say, the two years ago. Now we're playing a bit more compactly in midfield. And yes, we do need someone who can perform a bit of the Thomas Party role, but Basuma for me can only do half of that. He, he doesn't have he doesn't have the the passing range. Uh, or, or quite the escapability in in the, that role as, as party uh, when parties fit, um, but you know he he's the one you might think is a loss. But let's not forget that it was only this week he got cleared of of a potential sexual assault, well, sexual misconduct or whatever you'd call it. I don't know, but maybe sexual assault. I'm not quite technically sure what what exactly was being being handsy. I believe the Tories might refer to it. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> Or as the Tories or other Tories might refer to it as uh, um, being uh, being no longer a matter for discussion and and, and everything's fine. Uh, but anyway, uh, it, it's ironic that uh, the other gentleman in question got a, got the, the whip taken away from him just briefly after being exonerated by our erstwhile leaders. But um, yeah, but I don't think Richarlison would be nailed on first choice at Arsenal, even though it'd be useful. And, 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 and let's face it, he's a snide sod that will fit much better at, at Spurs than he would at Arsenal anyway. Um, and Perisic, I mean, people were bitching about the possibility of us getting him three years ago and he was a better player than he is now. I remember that. Yeah, although at the time I would have quite liked him, but now it doesn't just doesn't make any sense for the direction we're heading in. You know, Fraser Forster is a reserve goalkeeper. Well, you know, okay, we'll be Um but, you know, aside from that, what have Chelsea done so far? I mean, there's lots of talk about who they're going to buy, but so far they're having even less success in the market than us. And they have managed to uh, lose about three first-teamers on the Bosman. <laughs> um, you know, particularly yeah. Rudiger's going to be a big miss for them. Um, and, and even Aspilicueta to a degree, even though his legs were going. And, and Christensen was quite a regular player for them as well. And they haven't done anything to, to address that that shortfall yet. United, well, they they're in the process of trying to buy everyone they can from Ajax. So, but at the moment they've bought what uh, an unproven right winger and a reserve left back. So, you know, let's not shit the shit ourselves about that. And Liverpool have spent bought a couple of kids who may well who I 
you know, very promising for sure. And the hunt and the best part of hundred million quid on Darwin Nunes, who's got a, a boatload of potential, but has some red flags in his game that make you wonder how he'd adjust to m- most teams. I think it would be better fit for Liverpool than he would be for a lot of other teams. Um, so I don't think we should be at panic stations by any stretch of the imagination. But the thing that gives me real comfort, and I don't know what your thought is, you might disagree with this, but it seems to me as if we're looking to buy players in positions that make sense that we should be looking to buy players in, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think um, we were chatting earlier and uh, the internal consultations I've had to make around Rafinha uh, <laughs> being purchased or not purchased. Um, but I, th- I, I guess the one thing that could, would happen that could happen that would make Arsenal fans feel a lot happier would be if um, a centre midfielder, uh, i.e. Tielemans or someone like Tielemans, was signed because that mm. seems to be the position where everyone, you know, how long have we been talking about Granite Xhaka? And actually, he had a decent season last season, but there's still just this feeling around Xhaka that he's not quite at the level to do what Mikel Arteta wants him to do uh, as that number eight position. And also, of course, we get the um, occasional red mists, which are usually always costly. Indeed. Um, So I, yeah, I, I, as I said earlier, I'm I'm pretty relaxed with where we are. It's um, you know, there's four or five weeks till the season starts. I know the season starts a week earlier this year. Um but I feel quite relaxed about it. And I'll we're looking to buy players. It does feel quite logical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean there have been people sort of comparing it to, you know because we haven't got all our business done yet, comparing it to a Wenger transfer window, but I did ha- have to say to someone, well, at least at least we haven't just bought Petr Cech. <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> um, you know, uh, latter Wenger transfer windows were, had the, were, were occasionally great at the end of the transfer window, but they often took a very long time to get there. <laughs> and, and, he, and some of them were just shit anyway, uh, the aforementioned being a case in point. Um, yeah. Of course, the other thing that's going to be happening in, in, in well, in addition to additions, is departures. Um, so far, obviously, we've had a, a couple of people walk out the door for no no money. Uh, Alex Lacazette gone back home, much to I'm sure Lana's deep approval, uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'll let, let her tell us about that. She'll be even more even more gushing because, given the fact that uh, Toliso has gone back to Lyon as well uh, from from Bayern Munich, who. If he was a player that could stay fit, would have had teams a lot bigger than Leon chasing him because he's a fine footballer, but he's only ever fit for half a season at best at the moment. And it's a case of whether he can redress that in a less competitive league. Otherwise, I'd have been wanting Arsenal to go for him because at his best, he was a really good player. Um, but so far, yeah, the only player that's left for a fee is, is Danny Ballard, uh, Northern, Northern, Northern Iron International. Um, and um, Matty Genduzzi. Oh, I suppose yes. I mean, that was that was done before, wasn't it? But yeah, I guess it's because that was essentially activated months ago. You forget about it being actually yeah. this window. Yeah. Uh, of course, lots of nas- wearing and gnashing of teeth about that because he's 
got himself together at Marseille and has had a very good season for them and is in the French squad. So obviously the sale price is, as things stand now, looks terrible compared to how it looked when no one was willing to take him off our hands. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> but we'll have to see how he goes now. Marseille have sacked their manager, who's the first manager he's got on with for any length of time. Ago. Oh, OK. I didn't know that. <laughs> no, I sacked him. Sorry, he resigned. My mistake. Oh, right. OK. Resigned basically because they weren't doing enough weren't doing enough to try and recruit players in preparation for the Champions League. Sampaoli, is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, he's, got a, he's got a habit of not sticking around any great length of time anywhere. Um, right. I think he's quite a, a fiery, emotional figure, which is probably why he got on with Gunduzi, actually. <laughs> um, okay. But, yeah, uh, but obviously there's a lot of names that could be going out the door, and I noticed that you uh, were part of a conversation on Twitter about, you know, out of out of those that that have not been at the club last season, oh. who, who would be retained? You know, we're talking what Nelson, well, even Pepe, I suppose, a couple of conversation, but Nelson, Maitland Niles, Bellerin, <laughs> Pablo Mari, and, you know, Lucas Torreira, blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, you, you plumped for, uh, the birdcatcher. As you, as oh, well, of course, of course. You know, anyone that's listened to this podcast at all would know that I, who I would choose out of those players. But, um, I think, the the frustration is he, he is a good footballer. He's a really good footballer. He's cool. He's technically very good, and he's versatile. So he could be, you know, the, how many times have we said this on the podcast? The Swiss Army knife footballer, mm. and um, you know, he gives you cover in centre mid. He could be cover for left back and allow us to centre Vares on loan if that's what actually Mikel Arteta wants to do. Gives you cover at right back. Um, he could play on the flanks, although I don't think there'd ever be a need for Ainsley Maitland Niles to play on the wing for us. I just can't. No, doesn't offer enough. <laughs> no. So, yeah, I mean, just a complete no-brainer to me. But I, I, one thing I noticed, that I don't want to cast any aspersions and get myself into trouble with people unnecessarily, but looking at the uh, training ground photos that were published on the website at the end of the week, I thought he was carrying a bit of timber. Oh. I don't know if that was just me. Well, I have to admit, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get past the first couple of photos because time is a bit of a precious resource for me at the moment. Um, but yeah, I've noticed. <laughs> certainly, uh, certainly, his loan spell at Roma did not go as he might have hoped. Uh, you know, he started the first few games there at right back, and then pretty much was never seen again. Um, bar the odd the odd brief cameo and didn't pull up any trees in the process. Um, yeah, it's a real shame as a player who for a long time looked like, you know, possibly midfield and then certainly, you know, let's not forget he, he got into the England squad as a fullback and, yeah. and did fine, you know. Um, but his reluctance to be a fullback and his determination to try and nail down a, a starting place has really blown up in his face, unfortunately. Um, uh, and ultimately, I suppose, to be a a starting Premier League midfielder for a good club, you've, you've got to be able to have better consistency of engagement throughout, throughout 90 minutes than Ainsley has. You know, he has games where he's able to be switched on the whole time, but over a run of few games, he just, he just kind of... Uh, you know, zones out at periods and and, and becomes sloppy. Um, and as you know, 
even Fat Sam tried to give him some advice to and said, you know, you should go back to Arsenal and be a fullback. Yeah. Uh, but that seems to have not, not happened. And so he's very much in limbo. And it's a, it's a real shame because, as he, as he alluded to, he should be a player that should be useful for Arsenal Football Club, just given his versatility. Um, but whether, but of course, it's very difficult, I suppose, for him to accept that role. And and will Art, is Arteta still interested in having him in that role, given given how his form has suffered and how he's agitated to go out on loan a couple of times? And you know, um, it's hard to see a way back from him unless unless there's a lack of interest. Um, I mean, just looking at the other options, I suppose, I, I suppose we we all think they're all just gone, don't we? I mean, we know Hector wants to go back to Betis, but Betis don't have any money. Uh, but apparently, Atletico Madrid is sniffing around, um, which I suppose would be a, a good move for him if he could get it. I mean, I, it doesn't strike me as being a particularly Simeone player, but yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, I, I, you know, maybe four or five years ago when he could still run. Um, but not so much now. Um, I keep having these, and uh, my mate James Craddock, if he listens to this podcast, he'll laugh at this bit, but I keep having these um, flights of fancy where I think, oh, well, maybe if Arsenal get rid of Nicola Pepe, Reese Nelson could be the backup to Bukayo Saka. Not to the level that Alan Davis is convinced that Reese Nelson's been done a terrible wrong by a successful <laughs> of Arsenal managers, uh, principally the man in charge at the moment. But um, you know, I, you know, we've talked about Reese before and how skillful he is as a player, but how he hasn't really been able ever to impose himself. Um, mm. But he does feel like if Arsenal was, a, you know, they want a, a backup on the right side of the attack, given the options we all we have already if Nicola Pepe is going this summer then Reese Nelson could could be that man I don't know I mean I have to say I saw, you know I saw a bit of Reese in his loan spell in, in Holland and there was a, a good little purple patch he had sort of towards the end of the season where he was getting goals and assists but because of that I then started watching him a bit and then obviously of, of course in the in the European final that he played in uh, and he's still kind of the same player in that someone that you 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 can't quite work out why he's not more effective because mm. um, he sort of does most things pretty well and seems to take up intelligent positions but there just isn't a sort of a cut a conviction a real cutting edge to his game even though you know you've you've, you've seen anyone that's won play for the under twenty threes, or even in under twenty ones, and just like walk it, like be just yeah. far too good for both those levels. But then just somehow it's senior football. It, apart from those first few months, you know, Hoffenheim on loan was it Hoffenheim? He just hasn't. It just hasn't come together for him, and it's just a real shame because you know, by all accounts, he's a good lad as well, and you know. Um, it's hard. It's hard to see a way back from for Arsenal, really, and unless we strike out of all our targets, and we and we have to give him a chance, really, um, simply because if he was a player playing for another club, as you know, based on his performances, you wouldn't be interested in him, would you, as an Arsenal? Yeah. Uh, just yeah. Just to clarify, I don't think he is the answer, but I no, just I... would like him to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, 
uh, and it's it's a strange one because I can't quite work out why he's been so comparatively ineffectual at the senior level. Um, I mean, yes, he hasn't quite kicked on physically as well as some of his, some of his peers, you know. And let's not forget this was a guy that was rated as highly as Jaden Sancho when they were, you know, when they were 16 and as well as being close mates. Uh, although Sancho's United move hasn't exactly been a dream. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just hope that, and, and I think he's only got one year left on his contract, so I'm not sure why he would want to renew as things stand. And on that basis, the club kind of have to sell him if there's a buyer. But whether there's a buyer, I mean, so far the only noise we've, noise we've heard is fine, I'm going to take him on loan again. What, so you can have him for, for nothing and then <laughs> take him for nothing in the season? Well, no. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of disappointing because he's some, you know, it's him and Enketia that really were tearing things up at that youth level and just were both looked too good for it. And Enketia, after a bit of a delay, has now kicked on. You know, he just looks physically able at this level in the way that he didn't quite before. But Nelson still doesn't really. Um, I guess then we've got the endless saga of Lucas. I want to go home or Italy or Spain or anywhere that's Latin and sunny, Torero, <laughs> uh, who managed to play almost every game for Fiorentina this season, but but they couldn't possibly stump up 15 million quid for him, despite the fact they just sold Vlajevic for 70 million or whatever it was. Uh, and apparently, you know, we're, we're trying to renegotiate the, the agreed deal they had in place with Arsenal right up to the last minute, as well as then low-balling him and his agent in a way that's uh, not great, um, particularly given that the funeral team have got a new owner who has quite a lot of dosh. But anyway. Yeah, I don't really feel for the guy. He's ended up out of favour at Arsenal, not through any fault of his own, really. Um, and then he's just been... And I think he... He talked about bad people, didn't he, in an Instagram post yeah, yeah, or yeah. something. Um, I just like you. <laughs> you agreed to pay the money for the guy. He's had a good season for you. Just buy him. <laughs> He'll be happy. You, you've got a good player. Everyone's happy. I think basically what happened is they realised they could get another good player who plays in a position on a free. And they thought, well, we'll do that then. Uh, and I think that's when he was referring to bad people. It, it, uh, that, that someone at Fiorentina uh, may have acted in bad faith, shall we say? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't exonerate the player because ultimately, he, when things started not quite going as well for him as they might, he then made it pretty clear he wanted to leave England, <laughs> which is never a great look. Um, you know, he had, his, he had his decent first season where he started very well and then tailed off a little bit. Then we had the bizarre thing where Uno Emery was trying to play him as a number 10, which was just like stupid o'clock. That was the point where Emery was started losing it badly with the team and it went into complete chaos. And then he came in, Arteta came in and obviously just didn't really rate him that much. Um, and, and, then, and then, you know, and then I think Torreira's mother might have died. And then, and so, yeah, I think also Torreira broke his leg quite. I mean, Arteta had been here about three weeks or something. Do you remember the yeah, FA yeah, Cup yeah. game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he's had a succession of bad things happen to him. Um, 
And I also like to me, I, I'm not sure of the order of this. Um, I I feel like we made it kind of clear that we didn't really want him around before he started kicking off about being in England. But I might have that wrong, and if I have, I have. But yeah, well, I think he was pr- he probably knew by then he wasn't going to be first choice. I think that I think that may have been clear. But I yeah, it, it's again, it's just how you deal with the situation, isn't it? You know, uh, and these footballers aren't stupid; they know. Well, certainly if they are, their agents aren't stupid, so they know the game. But and ultimately, it's that thing of doing so has made it harder for us to get a fee for him of any of any note, and it's also ultimately just because a bit down to ill fortune has actually made it harder for him to get a move as a result. So he's actually been, you know, if he'd kept his trap shut, it might have actually been better for better for him to get away from the club. Yeah. As it's happened, uh, which is not necessarily the usual state of affairs. Um, but I mean, it's kind of weird to be talking about him, to be honest. He just sees been persona non grata at Arsenal for so long now. It's yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, the club made it clear that they don't really see a, a future for him, and he's made it clear that he doesn't want to play in England. <laughs> but unfortunately, no one wants to buy him. Which which is very odd because he's a good footballer who's had a very good season. So you know, uh, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. He's just not a Premier League footballer because ultimately, you know, he started well, but then he did get exposed as basically in that position. If you if you're small, you've got to be quick. <laughs> yeah, uh, and if you're not big and you're not quick, you're in trouble in that position in the Premier League because most of the players are both of those things. <laughs> um, and then obviously Pablo Murray, who once again, it's like loaning players to Italian teams. It's like Udinese then came out after his loan, you know, like he's available for 6 million quid or something, but it's complicated, uh, even though he's one of the less well-played players at Arsenal. Um, what an utterly pointless signing that was. Well, unfortunately, it was one of those ones where you could see the idea, but then he turned up and then was basically injured and then uh, and then we bought Gabriel and then he got injured again so it was like well okay so basically you've, you lost your choice to be any chance of being first choice and you also lost your choice of being cover <laughs> uh, but uh, you know he's, he did pretty well in Italy and he is a he is a good player but again just struggles with the pace of the Premier League and the intensity of the Premier League which is you know won't be the first time that's happened Um. And of course, there's Bernd Leno, who, again, no one appears to put any money on the table for, despite the fact that he's probably, in the comparative stakes, probably the best of all of those players that we've mentioned. Mm. Uh, and yes, he must be in a decent chunk of change as a wage, but this is a guy who, you know, is a regular in the German national squad, has done absolutely nothing wrong at Arsenal. He just basically can't really play with the ball at his feet very effectively. But he's still an excellent goalkeeper in every other... Well, not great, not brilliant on crosses, but, you know, every other part of his goalkeeping is a very high level. And he's he's very rarely... he's Apart from a little wobble at the end of the season before we bought Ramsdale, he's been really good for us. So it's, it's really odd that no one seems to be wanting to put any money on the table for the guy. Um given how many duff goalkeepers are out there. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? I, I sort of feel, obviously, Matt Turner was signed with a view to moving Leno on in the summer, and it it feels like we could end up with 
Leno's still at the club somehow. I'm sure yeah. some there'll, there'll be some sort of move that happens on deadline day alone or something, maybe. Yeah, um, it's, just, it's just odd that, you know, so some of the other players were talking about, you can see why there's not a huge amount of interest because they haven't shown that much or their levels dropped off or they've just been really inconsistent. You know, he's been very consistent. Uh, you know, just not quite what we need for the way we're trying to play. Yeah. Anyway, and, and no doubt there will be, you know, there have been a few other moves, you know, Tyrese John Jules has got another loan move this time to Ipswich. Let's just hope for once he can stay fit because he was absolutely great in the youth groups coming up. And then as soon as he went to senior football, started really well and then immediately got injured. Then had another loan spell, started well, got injured. Uh, and that's unfortunately been the story of his professional career. Um, but a player with a lot of a, a very interesting mix of skills because uh, he can sort of he's a sort of nine and a half striker, which of course is quite in vogue at present. Um, Nikolai Moller's gone on, on loan again to some Dutch second division team. Uh, Mika Biereth has gone on loan as well, which is good for him because he was doing really well for the under 23s. Uh, and looks to be someone who has a very interesting profile, but needs, you know, under 23s football, or football isn't great if you're someone that's physically ready for professional football. Um, you know, it's it's only really useful for those people who don't, who can't really handle the demands of, of, of playing against men. And I think he's got the build to do so. Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's about it so far. I mean, no doubt by the time people listen to this, there'll be one or two others that go out on loan. Um, but the, the good thing is at least we're trying to be proactive with these kids and, and, and get them the experience a bit earlier than we were previously. So we can know where we stand with them rather than having to sort of wait until they're 22 before we've got an idea of whether they're going to make it or not, which was too often the problem in the past. Um, but of course, it's, you know, it's, it's very easy to get excited about young players to a disproportionate degree. I mean, remember when we were all, we were all sort of being wowed by J. Emmanuel Thomas kind of absolutely dicking on them, the 23s. And then as soon as he came up into the first time, you're like, oh, wow, you just can't do it at this level at all. You just don't have the, almost the energy to play in top, you know, at a high level professional football, top level professional football. You know, he's had a decent career and he's currently enjoying a bit of a renaissance in Scotland. Down there. But, um, yeah, uh, it's it's hard from from what we get to see of players in, in the age age groups to see who's uh, who's who's really got a chance. But there are you know there are some very promising kids that other clubs have been sniffing around. Um, and just to say, great for Brooke Norton Cuffey, who uh, yes, it, it ended up becoming a, a sub rather than starting by the last game, but by the final. But he uh, yeah was part of the England Euro Under Nineteen winning team yesterday. Was it yesterday? I think so. So great for him. Great for him. And uh, yes, although those if anyone who's listened to the start of this podcast will tell we started recording this. Uh, when it was still June, it is now July uh, <laughs> because because life. Uh, but Arsenal played their first behind closed doors friendly of the season. Uh, won uh, a five-one against Ipswich Town with a hat trick and assist from Eddie Nketiah. So there we go. Um, and I was just talking to an Arsenal fan a couple of days ago who was telling me Eddie Nketiah cannot play in the first team. What an idiot! <laughs> Well, I mean, whether he is ultimately good enough to get regular time for the first team, we still is still up in the air. But he can definitely play in the first team because, I mean, 
he proved it at the end of last season. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, and also he went, he, he, you know, he stepped up from being one of those guys that, you know, would look half decent in the League Cup and maybe get a goal here to being someone for whom, who was just gaming the League Cup. It was just like it wasn't even a challenge anymore until it got to being, you know, against the teams that he wasn't really selected against. Um, yeah, we didn't really talk about Eddie's contract in the first uh, instalment of this pod, did we? No. Um, well, feel free to do so now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think obviously there was, um, it was known for quite a while that he was, he had changed his mind and was quite likely to stay as a result of the games he got towards the end of the season. But, you know, it's one thing to get games, you've got to put the performance in. in and he has, um, and I think as you said on the podcast a few weeks ago, you know, had we brought him into the team a little bit earlier, perhaps we'd be having different conversations about Arsenal's transfer targets and aspirations for next season now. Um, so I know that there's a, probably a lot of Arsenal fans that are not massively pleased that the, you know, apparently we're paying him a hundred grand a week now. Um, which will which, be after bonuses and add-ons and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it is a lot of money to give someone that's, basically only really done it uh, for two months of a league season or not even really two months. Um, you know, and we're all a little bit burnt by the Aubameyang contract, I think, maybe. Mm. Um, but ultimately, Arsenal were going to have to go and sign a str- another striker anyway, and they were going to have to pay that guy wages. And, you know, by the time you factor in a transfer fee and then wages, we were quite likely to be spending a lot more money than we are on Eddie. And I, I also think, and I've said it on the podcast before, I think I probably said it about Ainsley two years ago, and Emmy Martinez. Um, so I'm not right all the time, um, or ever. But um, for me, it's it's nice to see kids that have come through the academy get rewarded. And, um, yeah. you know, ultimately, if, if, if Eddie can carry on as he ended last season it will turn out to be a good a good renewal. Um, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and the question about Eddie has always been about, could he develop physically? I mean, ultimately, his, his slight frame and size was the reason why Chelsea let him go. And could he develop his all-round game? Because, you know, we all know, we've seen right from the time he was, you know, in the under-16s, the kid knows just knows where the ball's going to go to have a chance to score, you know, whether he's going to score or not is another matter, but he has got that sixth sense thing of a, the, the goal scorer has, which means, you know, that if you, if he can play at the level that the rest of his game can stand up to, he will score goals. And, and, and I think we saw during last season, we saw big strides physically, you know, he now looks like a man rather than a boy. Um, and he looked like a boy until quite recently, you know. Um, but also his all-round game has definitely taken a step forward. And even before that good run, we, you know, there's a few sub-appearances that came on. And it was just like, oh, oh, hang on a minute. Oh, there's something different going on here. You know, you're stronger, yeah. quicker. You're doing different things. That's that's interesting, you know. Yeah. Um, and I also think, actually, when you're talking about someone that's 23 years old and, you know, He's an Arsenal fan. He loves the club, but he's 23. So you're not paying him 100 grand a week for how good he is now. You're paying him 100 grand a week for how good he might be when he's 24, 25. 
that's what's yeah. important yeah yeah and and he's only just 23 as well and 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 ultimately you know it's part of a bigger picture as well if there's players who come through the system who are doing well we have to be seen that we're willing to reward them in order to make sure that other players coming through the system wish to wish to stay at arsenal uh, and also that players from other systems who might be tempted to join to Arsenal can see not just a pathway, but a reward associated with that pathway. You know, we had been linked to um, Chukwemeka, who was brilliant for the England under-19s. He's currently a Villa lad with a year left on his contract. I mean, I'd actually seen him play before and I'd be all over him if we could get him because I just think for his age, he's got an amazing... Uh, not just set tools, but also quite a lot of refinement. And, and, and given where we have positional needs, could be a very interesting option. But anyway, that's another matter. Um, pivoting completely in another direction and away from players. Uh, obviously, season is going to be a bit weird uh, with them having a World Cup in the middle of it, but having the plus side of having five subs, which is going to, which I think is. We saw Arteta thrive with a fight, being able to use five subs when the uh, when we were having Project Restart. We saw him, you know, not sure the team was brilliant, but he was using those substitutions well. In the same way that he did very well when we had drinks breaks every 50, 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that bodes well. It certainly will give a lot more tactical options, and also crucially, will give more opportunities for people to get game time because because of three subs, you bring. Two one, and you're keeping the third as a just in case, aren't you? Whereas if you got five, then you can actually give four people game time and still keep one in reserve, which obviously makes a big difference in terms of particularly younger players or fringe players being still part of the squad. And I think that would have helped us a lot this season had that option been available to us because we found come down the stretch, you know, some there were players who hadn't been involved enough who were a bit rusty, or other players who perhaps we could have seen more from sooner. Eddie being one of them. But um, we'll sort of talk about more, that more as we sort of get to a, a season preview because obviously particularly the World Cup as well are going to have a massive impact. But I know you wanted to touch on just before we finished the fact there's a, a, a an upcoming documentary series that might be of interest to Arsenal fans. Yeah, or, or not, depending on how you feel about it. Eh? Um, I mean, for me, I'm I'm not expecting any great insights. I think. Um, I've, I'm just looking forward to, to to watching a bit of madness unfold, and you know, to get uh, to get behind the scenes. I think Arsenal, um, probably like most top level Premier League clubs, but particularly after the Arsene Wenger years, where you didn't get to find out anything ever. <laughs> um, you know, to the point where you know the Emirates Stadium is designed so that the coach can get into the stadium without interference from the fans. It's completely different to how it was at Highbury. Um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I remember when the Tottenham one happened a couple of years ago and the guy I played football with, Dan, who's a Chelsea fan, said to me, have you watched the Tottenham one yet? And I went, no, mate, why would I watch that? It's Tottenham. And he goes, oh, mate, it's really funny. Um, so I, I, I think as Arsenal fans, we're probably going to have to deal with a lot of people laughing at us, particularly of, you know, if the trailer was anything to go by. Um, yeah, yeah. Arteta's big motivational um, speech um, and the Wolves. But do you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm used to people laughing at us and hating us and... Um, for me, I yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, what should be a 
an interesting ride. Uh, although, as everybody's observed, spoiler, we got nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, <sighs> well, we didn't get nothing. We just got no. a sh- we just got a slightly shitty something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, it, it, what would obviously, if if there's anything about it that provides any insights into the situation with the Bamier, then suddenly it'll be like ratings bonanza in it because that's that's the the big question mark isn't it like what the fuck happened there yeah i mean I, i'd be surprised i'm not expecting that i mean it'd be no great. i'm not expecting it either. it'd be great to get it but not expecting it what i, I don't know nothing you... explicit but i reckon there might be things that provide vague hints about yeah. what the vibe was like they're never going to tell us what exactly happened but we might find out how people felt about it which is kind of going forward is probably the more important thing in a way. Yeah. October 31st, Aubameyang arrives for training four hours late. <laughs> uh, everyone's gone home. Um, I remember... I don't Nikola Tessa's when... in the Big Brother diary room. <laughs> <laughs> when um, when they, it was announced that it was happening and Mikel Arteta got asked if he'd had any input into the decision that, uh, to agree it or not, and he just said, no. <laughs> no. No. Great. I really wish it wasn't happening, but there yeah. we are. Yeah. No, I'd, so I, are you, are you, how do you feel about it? Oh, yeah, no, I'll definitely watch it just because, uh, well, one, I'm an obsessive Arsenal fan that's so fucking tragic, I record a podcast every fucking week, so that tells you a certain amount <laughs> <laughs> for, for how many years. But also... Uh, it's just the thing of I think I think football the way we consume it has changed isn't it you know before it was just before the players were sufficiently close that you kind of got a sense of them through immediate physical proximity then they became very removed and and they felt a bit like aliens and now we've got a bit like the balance of that you know clubs trying in a very controlled way give us a bit of player personality and you get lots and lots of people doing random interviews on YouTube channels and shit like that, you know, um, you know, Ben Foster going out with his GoPro. <laughs> um, but so, so this is like an extension to that, you know, we'll, we'll get to find out a little bit more. And ultimately the way we, we consume football has changed. And that actually is of some vague significance because we're all looking not just not just for the soap opera of it, but we're looking for signs, aren't we? What does this mean? What yeah. does that mean? And and also, you know, you particularly if you're again sufficiently obsessive to spend time critiquing things as we are, then you, you want, you know, you're looking for what, you know, what clues are there about why things are happening or what what the impact of certain things would be. You know, if if it say becomes clear that there are certain players that get on really, really well together that we hadn't really considered, then that would be cool. You know, maybe maybe it's like maybe Granite Xhaka when he's behind the scenes is like the world's funniest man or something. It seems unlikely, but you never know. Um because uh, all these things do impact the way we view the bigger picture. And and also the more insight we get, the greater understanding we have, which allows us to appreciate things in a different way. I mean certainly, you know, we're starting to become slightly more tactically sophisticated, I guess, over the last five years. You know, there's, there's all this advanced metrics, analytical data that's coming out that we're starting to get our heads around collectively as a fan base. So this is just another thing that adds to that. And of course, I'm sure there'll be there'll be some Mourinho-esque overacting from someone in there somewhere along the line. Uh, but, um, you know... <laughs> 
<laughs> if there's anything that, that in the slightly embarrassing stakes manages to top Harry Kane giving a motivational speech, then then we might be in trouble. But I, 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 I struggle to think that we'd be have anything more cringe than that. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the maybe the worst thing about it is I think I'm right in saying it literally comes out the day before we go away to Palace on the uh, first evening of the season. Well, in that case, you might want something else to watch, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, just not nice of them to give us another another Friday night bonanza. March thirtieth, Alex Lacazette has been killed by the bleep test. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Lacazette has COVID again. <laughs> February twenty second. Has anyone seen Nicola Pepe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I have to admit, I do hope that they kind of go slightly spoof over the top with it, but I don't think they will. I think it'll be, try and be terribly worthy. But yeah. I, I do hope there's some humour in it somewhere. Uh, I mean, intentional humour, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, on that note of uh, of essential viewing, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think we'll just knock it on the head there because we've been talking for quite a while. But hopefully, listeners, you've enjoyed some of this and learned something about some of the players we either are or aren't signing, depending on which ones you found interesting. Um, uh, we'll save next week to talk about... Um, there are a few other things coming up, and there's rumours linking us to other players, including this Ant- Anana guy from Lille, who... Uh, I mean, spoiler alert, he's fucking massive. Uh, but we'll talk we'll touch on that in more detail if it turns out to be anything more than a little bit of bullshit paper talk. Uh, because there is quite an intriguing player there. But uh, so far, it's only a couple of slightly less convincing sources uh, bigging that one up. And of course, if the transfers that we wanted to happen that aren't going to happen don't happen, then there'll be other people, things happening that we'll have to talk about. So we'll have all that to talk about. And as I've said before, we'll be talking about the World Cup, we'll be talking about the five subs. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some departures at some stage we'll also want to talk about. And of course, we might want to touch on the women's football, particularly given that it's the women's Euros coming up. And uh, and uh, our, our last Leah is captaining the Lions. So all good there. And I'm sure by then there'll be something to laugh at at some of our rivals doing something stupid, particularly when Todd, Todd Bowley from, at Chelsea seems to be just basically trying to buy all the players that all the other clubs are trying to buy rather than actually doing his own fucking scouting. But that's another question entirely. Hmm. All right, then. Uh, well, thanks again, Paul. Always good to speak to you. And you, mate. Thank you for having me. And yeah, have a great week, listeners. Uh, I hope that uh, you get to enjoy something of the pre-summer summer and that life is being kind to each and every one of you. All right, cheerio. Bye-bye. Sexual chocolate. (laughs) 